open your Bibles to Nehemiah, the first chapter of Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah. And uh, we'll go straight to the Scriptures in just a moment. Good to see you here today. Good to meet Dave and Sandy. Uh, I understand we're fellow students back in the day at Tennessee Temple in the mid-70s. And uh, I love Word of Life. I know a lot of the missionaries. And uh, thank the Lord for your presence today. I want to bring a lesson to you this morning. I'm titling simply Biblical Revitalization. And uh, I'll introduce this to you here after we look at the first few verses here. And then we'll come back to our text and go through some portion of Nehemiah this morning. Look at Nehemiah chapter number 1 and beginning in verse number 3. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, You who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We'll come back to this in just a moment, but uh, tomorrow morning I begin my full-time journey with you here at Salem. Uh, Actually, today begins our full-time journey, walking through some transition steps here at the church in between pastors. We introduced that to you on last Sunday. And really, the work of transition or transition pastor is simply a word that's come familiar to us in recent years called revitalization. I think a real biblical word would be the word revival. But the idea of revitalization is thinking about uh, coming back to some things that are active and healthy and living and vibrant for God's glory. And it's a return back in that process, beginning there, back to what God desires to be and happen. And so in the essence of uh, our journey here at Salem Baptist, we want to think about these terms of biblical revitalization. Here in the lesson of Nehemiah, we have somewhat of a process that's unfolded to us that gives us some some really things to think about and consider in the days ahead. I don't know if you're understanding something about churches in recent years. I'm in these circles all the time. Um, uh, I I work with a lot of pastors and and, uh, a lot of missions directors and and people that are uh, burdened for our churches in a way that there has been an amount of decline and great need revitalization. I want to give to you just a few statistics this morning and uh, some growth and decline about some growth and decline in the churches in present day in America. Some growth and decline in churches in present day America. It's been said of recent statistics that there are only 5% or 3% of our churches that are actually fast growing at the present time. And that there are only 24% that are growing to some degree, which we would call more nominally. And then there are numbers that are on the decline. First of all, there's those that are steady declining. It's just progressing year after year in a steady format. 
32% of our churches in America. And there are others that are rapidly declining, and uh, that would be more of the 32%, uh, 22%, and then those that are declining uh, that are actually toward uh, such health as that. Uh, But in fact, uh, the good news is, uh, when we think about uh, those type of statistics, let me just review those just a moment. Uh, those that are fast growing are growing greater than 5% annually. That's, their, that's the definition of fast growing, about 5% incline every year. And those that are growing nominally is about uh, 5% as well. Uh, but those that are steadily declining are losing about up to 3% in a- every area of ministry, and then rapidly declining 2 to 5%. And then those declining toward death, it's just a 5% annually, and it's quick, fast decline towards death. Our Southern Baptist churches have said this for the last couple of years, that they define the Southern Baptist denomination across the country as being 85% of their churches are plateaued or in a form of decline from those latter three we mentioned a while ago. Notice this, the average worship attendance in 2000 in the American church was about 137 in 2000. But in more recent years, in 2021, the average church attendance has declined to be only about 65 average worship attendance of all the denominations or churches across the board. So just statistically, by way of attendance, you can describe it. But there's a whole lot more factors that talk about a church that's in need of revitalization, needing some health and vibrancy, getting back to the Word, in order that we as a church might glorify the Lord. There's spiritual factors, and there's financial factors, and there's numbers of things, attitudes in the heart, and the display of the members, and the the serving, and the lack of serving, and so forth. So honestly, if we had time, we could introduce to you a better picture of what it means for a church that, that is in need of some process, or some way, or some return back to be where God designed it. And you'll see that here in the story. I think it'll give you a lot of hope in just a little while when we when we introduce this to you in just a moment but the fact of the matter is there's hope for every church in need regardless of their condition or health there's hope for every church that has need that needs revitalization in some form or fashion some area of the church regardless of their condition or their health Everyone seems to remember in their churches a better day than today. I've asked that question to some of my people, walk, some of you people walk in my office. I ask, well, what do you see have been the healthiest days at Salem Baptist? And they all go back to another day than the day we're standing today. There was a healthier time. There was a more vibrant time. And most people say that about their churches. We may call them the good old days, the days of memory of past, where the church had its vibrancy and things were happening. I often ask, well, what was going on in the church that caused the church to have that type of health and vibrancy? And so uh, usually we think of other days beside the present day, and most churches can say that of themselves. There were definitely more healthier and vibrant times in our ministry, more fruit in the ministry, more uh, professions of faith and baptisms in the church, more modes and methods of discipleship, more intensity and mission of the gospel. And so that kind of describes the decline 
that calls us back to, to be revitalized to such healthy times that the church can experience. And so every church in need, regardless of their condition or health, uh, has hope inside of them. Now, I've been around in the last 15 years to some very desperate conditioned churches. I mean, you would think that what in the world is going on here? What has happened? Uh, that churches died and they still worship and they still meet and there's no life at all and they're not very far from our center right here today in Winston-Salem. They're all over the place. And so every church, regardless of its desperate condition, can have some hope. And I want to say that to Salem this morning. That's right. Salem Baptist can have some hope. And you'll see that in just a moment. Now, here's why every church has hope. Because a church of Jesus Christ is connected to Christ. That's our hope. Christ is our hope. We are a body connected with the head. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, by redemption and a purchased possession, we have hope, Ephesians 1 4. Colossians 1 18, that Christ is the head. We're connected with Christ being the head of the church. There is such hope in having such head connected to the body of the church. Romans 8.37 says this about a church. That a church can be more than conquerors through Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. And that ought to be a measure of hope for us today to believe his word. You go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. We mentioned last week about the glory in the church, the first three chapters. And in the latter part of chapter 3, he said, he's able, listen church, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above anything you could ask or think according to the power that are in the members of Salem Baptist Church. That's what it says. And if that's not enough, it reminds us that his glory, in verse 21, dwells in the church. And you tiptoe over back a couple more chapters to chapter 5 and verse number 27. The hope is, the end is, we are going to be a glorious church. Presented to God the Father by Christ Jesus. A church that's been revitalized fully without any spots and without any blemish. And so as you sit here this morning... Regardless of the condition of a church or anybody else's church that has a need to return back to God's glory, there's awesome hope, and it's God's design, and it's God's desire, and it never brings God glory for a church to be found in a place where it actually goes to die. But even still, when it dies, there's something about the gospel of John that tells us when a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it bides alone. And yet it can still bear more fruit. And that's a process, I think, in revitalization where sometimes a new planted church comes to that place where a congregation is noted that they are down in a place of death. And to think about letting them be able to be a place of death and buried and all their traditions pass so a new church can come in that place and produce a whole lot more food than that church could do in all the history of that dynamic, to think about it. I want to tell you something. The church is still glorious regardless of its condition. And there's a lot of hope for a church because of the connection of Jesus Christ. And yet the American church overall is in such decline and a need of revitalization. The word revitalize simply means to give new life, energy, the ability to grow again, to make healthy, 
and strong and active again. It's used as renewed. Some of us think of it in a spiritual term as revival. Revival is actually bringing something back to life that has died so that it might live again, you see, and have life once again. And I think, as we said a while ago, a lot of churches are in need of revitalization. And Salem has to answer that question. Would that be our church today? Are there areas in our church that has lost that health and vibrancy, lost the intensity of the Word and the, the obedience to the Scripture, and being able to fulfill the gospel mandate we've been given to reach the world Dave mentioned us a while ago, to make disciples, to penetrate the world, starting in our community here, and to think about that's the call of the gospel, the call of the church. That's the body of Jesus Christ. That's us doing his work. And by the way, that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, y'all are going to do greater works than I did after I go. Do greater works than I did. We continue as the body of Christ to do the work that we've been commissioned to. Uh, I've got uh, numbers of uh, uh, articles, and I just brought one to my desk uh, uh, the other day, and I thought I'd just re review this. You might, some of you guys that uh, follow along this area of revitalization might know Neri uh, Newoff up, up in Canada, and uh, he's become a tremendous uh, consultant and help and pastor and teacher in some of these, these uh, areas, but he, he noted some things uh, that, that, that picture the church that is dying, some of the symptoms that are taking place. Uh, when the church, uh, when the leaders have lost their passion, when the church is afraid of innovation and changes that are needed, when church management is replacing church leadership, when maintenance is overtaking the church mission, when the staff and volunteer, volunteers are burning out at a greater fast that you can even replace them, where the church finances lean toward in the red most of the time, when the church has little presence in their community, more focused on keeping the church members than reaching new people, and on and on you can give symptoms from different facets and different pictures of what it looks like in a church that's in, a, in the struggle, the danger area of continued decline, uh, maybe a steady decline, maybe a slow decline, but some form of fashion in need of a turn so we can stop the decline and come back to the vibrancy. And so I've been studying revitalization for several years, and I've seen firsthand this hopelessness. And, uh, and uh, churches that uh, have lost the purpose of the gospel, churches that are very inward-focused, rather than outward focus. It's defined about a church in three different categories. Most of them are in this first category as being an institutional church. And that's a church that is doing everything they can to protect who they are and their church and their congregation and their facilities, many times in a survival mode. And the outcome of such churches that are very institutional and very traditional to protect their traditions and who they are and preserve them and to secure them usually go through decline by actually aging out and losing the next generation to follow thereafter. I've been in churches uh, preaching. I've served in churches where a church has actually lost the second generation. They're not there. I know numbers of churches that actually have lost the first, the next generation, and the one that follows, they've lost two generations. I've got a handful of the 
elderly people at church, but there's nobody present that's 50 or 40 or 30 or 20 or in their teens or babies and no children in the nursery. That's the description or picture sometimes of an institutional church that has done all they could to protect and preserve their institution. And actually it comes to a place when the day just comes in time, steadily, 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 where they actually age out and the predominance is the senior-only crowd attending the services and working in the church and ministry. There's the attractional church. We're used to this one. They're around town here in Winston-Salem, are they not? The attractional church, the institutional church is preserving what they have, but the attractional church, they're, they're big on promoting what they have. And as they do this in such a way, it produces much burnout, if you know some of that story. But the biblical church is the third one, the missional church. And the missional church is penetrating the community, penetrating the gospel, penetrating the world with the mission of the gospel. And the, this church is actually moving out. The first church is aging out. The second church is burning out. But this last church can thrive because they're actually moving away from their church and going out and making disciples and being sent out and obeying the great commission of the gospel. But even though we think of churches in decline, just like Israel, just like a church needs revitalization many times, just like Israel, they were in such a plight. Same was true with the Old Testament Israel. Now, you know the Bible around here at Salem Baptist. And you know your Old Testament history when you start after Moses and getting into the Pentateuch and getting into actually the book of the Exodus where the children of Israel who understood that God spoke to them the laws and the commands and gave them his very word. Moses spoke to them. And you began to see the rebellion in the book of Exodus and it carries through all the way through the Pentateuch when you get also the time of the kings and the judges in the next few books takes us all the way down to the present time when you have the writing or the history of Nehemiah in present days here, 400 some years before the time of Christ. The transpiring of a thousand years or more now, you see the action of having God's word, hearing what he has spoken and understanding what he has said and coming to decisions and lifestyles and patterns where they move away from what God has spoken. They actually rebel against what God has spoken. God begins to bring down his hand upon them in a way where the blessing moves. He designed, he, first of all, he chose them and called them to be a blessed nation unto himself. That's what he, he did for these people. And, and they were blessed in every way. They had such a glorious future that had been given and promised to them. And that was the journey that you see them on. Moving towards that in the Exodus, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, They've been called and offered. They're the first group of people in the world that's been offered salvation. Man, they were favored, blessed people of God. To have his glory and his presence and his power and his provision, his protection, all of these things. But you see in the stories of the books of the Bible, they began losing some of what God had designed for them to have. Reading through the Kings and the Chronicles, their failures. And now you go, before you get to our writing, history passes numbers of years, and you come to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra was used tremendously after that captivity where they began releasing some of those out of the Persian captivity and bring Babylonian captivity from Persia and letting them come back into Jerusalem. 
And they were, they were there building that temple that had been destroyed back in the, after the 600 B.C. years and coming into the time of captivity where it had been destroyed. And so when we come to chapter 4, just a little context, and then we'll go through the Scripture just very quickly. Nehemiah here hears of Jerusalem's crisis condition in chapter 1. Some thousand years after the time of Moses and 400 plus years before the time of Christ, the nation of Israel is in a desperate condition, just like a lot of churches are, falling away from God's glory and God's plan and design. By the decisions of their own, nations were destroyed from the northern Jewish kingdom of Israel and then the southern Jewish kingdom of Judah. The city of Jerusalem uh, was completely conquered by the Babylonians and the once glorious temple of Solomon with all of its glory and splendor and riches had been destroyed. The Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem. They deported most everyone out of that city and brought them to the region for some 70 years under the Babylonians. And Jerusalem during these days was like a ghost town. It's like a lot of many ancient cities it could have been become completely forgotten except for the history that was known by it. I believe that when they did get back into captivity, I believe there were some Jews that stayed faithful to the Lord in my understanding. And they settled down in that place even though it was foreign to them. They were following God. Many of them were, not all of them. There was a remnant. God always had a remnant. Probably the same people that was going to be chosen to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild it and the walls that were there. And so these faithful Jews raised up places of prominence in their governments they were deported to. Daniel was one of them, a Jewish guy. Though he was in Persia, he was raised to a position, position of prominence as a young man. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, the same. Esther, the same, if you remember. She was made the queen in the courts of a Persian king. And after 70 years of this captivity, they were given the opportunity to return back to their homeland, this promised land that God had designed for them to keep and to stay and to make it strong and healthy, which is designed to this present day. And numbers of them returned back home. And so the book of Nehemiah begins 15 years after the book of Ezra. So when you read these, by the way, if you ever want to get somebody in your church, ask God to send you an Ezra and a Nehemiah. Such encouragers and an influence of people to move forward for the work of God. And you may have a few here that are like that. You thank God for them. Wonderful, influential people. Ezra was a priest. Nehemiah wasn't. He was just a servant of God, uh, serving in his position, his prime place in the palace of a king, King Artaxerxes uh, in Persia, and uh, doing what he was called to do. But God used both of these men. Ezra goes back and allows the people to rebuild this temple. And so after about 15 years, Ezra ends. There's been almost 100 years that the first captives had come back to this promised land. And it's been 150 years, just about, since the walls have been destroyed. They had been laying there for 150 years. You imagine maybe hanging around near that place and thinking about how desperate this place is, how hopeless this place is, how helpless this place is. People have abandoned it and gone to other places. No protection from the walls from our enemies as we've had for years and years and years. And the walls have been laying ruined and ruined and ruined and ruined. I've gone to places like that in my, in my travels around the country. I think about the vibrancy of such a place. 
And now you go back and you see the ruins of it, and there it is. Can God do something greater? Can God raise up the rubble and the walls in such a way to rebuild and revitalize? And so here it was, Nehemiah hears about this. They tried to rebuild the walls, but they'd failed in the book of Ezra, chapter 4, verse 6 to 23. And that some 75 before they tried to rebuild the walls, they were stopped by their enemies. And no one thought this obstacle could ever be overcome. We can never build the walls because of our enemies. We can never see the church revitalized again. There's so much laying against. There's so much weight and so much opposition where they came to a hopeless state. Now, that was the ruins of these people back in this day. They were people, and yet they were very vulnerable. And you see that story. They declined from what they were and what God wanted them to be. I need to take you through the text quickly this morning if I can. I can see I'm not going to finish. I had a different idea about next Sunday's message, but I think we're going to have to get started here, God willing, as the Lord leads this week. I'll take you through the rest of this story here. So there's some principles and considerations about church revitalization. Salem, now listen in. Get your pencil out. Take some notes here. This is, this is the Word of God. We're going to come back and talk about some of these things and look at some of these things. But notice the condition for their revitalization, number one. It's found in verse number three. The survivors are left from the captivity in the provinces. They're in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. The condition of verse number 3 of Israel can be summarized by numbers of churches today. They're sensing distress, which is a picture of the multitude of stress that they have on many levels. Distressed, combined together. There's a reproach about them where people perhaps knew about them. There's a different name about them in the community. Uh, there, there's, there's, there, there's not that, that uh, the, 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 somewhat of the respect that's given to what, what was happening and what they were speaking and what they were accomplishing and the life change going on. It had been a reproachful people and ever seen by the walls that had been broken down. That was their captivity, leaving from captivity, being held in bondage, they're allowed to escape and turn loose to go back to Jerusalem. Uh, I like that. Uh, uh, and, 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 and Nehemiah uh, enters into some type of an approach of revitalization when he notices this condition here. He's the first one that observes it, really. God uses him to see this picture. He hears about it. And, and notice it was just a testimony that came to him. One of the brothers just came to him from Judah. Let me tell you what's going on. Now, Nehemiah's 800 miles away doing his own business, doing his own thing. As far as we know, he never actually lived in Nehemiah. Now, he had some descendants from there because it refers to our scripture that his fathers and grandparents and his later years above him, genealogy before him, they were residents there. They, they were Jew And Nehemiah himself was a Jew, but he wasn't residing there. And he heard these words about his hometown of where his descendants lived. And where the Jewish people were called into a place of promise. He knew the words of Moses. He knew what God had spoken. He'd known the journey of these people for hundreds and hundreds of years. And he gets a first caption, first time report for many years about the condition of Judah. 
And it was a church. It was a city. It was a county, or rather a country that had, had actually declined and been reproachful and in much stress. No one had a desire to rise up and build and clean the rubble from the des destroying from a hundred and some years before. And so it was the condition that he noticed. I've got a little book I brought to the pulpit this morning. You might know Tom Rainer. Anybody know the name Tom Rainer? Uh, Tom and I pastored in St. Petersburg in the same town. We're the same age. Uh, I, back in 91, he pastored a church just about four or five miles from me. And uh, later, Tom uh, uh, became uh, director, president of Lifeway, four or 4,000 employees. And in recent years, he's established a, a, a ministry of his own. But in 2016, he wrote a book that I've shared with many people. We might, we might work through some of this maybe later somewhere in the church in some other books, but he calls it an autopsy of a deceased church. Anybody know mention of this name or not? Autopsy of a deceased church. I shared this with a congregation a couple of years ago that I was helping in transition. We weren't going to use this book. We'd already been working through a couple other books, but I just gave it to my transition team to read this. And the very next meeting, uh, one of my team members spoke up and said, uh, you know that book you gave out last week, Pastor Tommy? He said, all I did was just read the chapter titles. He said, every chapter title describes the condition of our church. And in this book is a journey where he and others have taken 14 churches that died and wanted to see the symptoms. And they, they did an autopsy of the, after these churches died, what was going on inside this church and so forth. And, and he measures that. And basically, it's, it's Nehemiah chapter 1, verse number 3. It's brokenness, ruined walls, destroyed walls. But he describes them in this way. He talks about there's been slow erosion, and the past is the hero, some chapter titles. The church refused to look like their community. The budget moved inwardly. The great commission becomes the great omission. It's a preference-driven church. Church rarely praying together had no really clear purpose, obsessed with facility. He goes on to describe the, the condition. And I think one thing that's helpful for us in our journey the next few weeks when we begin with our transition team and working with the congregation to get a good understanding about the condition of the church. That's important. That's a, that's a starting place. And so the condition for the need of revitalization is shown by the present condition that is there. Let me give you this last one. We'll stop on this one, this next one. And we'll continue next week. But notice in verse number four, the cry and the confession to see Israel revitalized. The cry and confession. And so it was when I heard these words, it was just a report, a testimony, a text message. It was just a voicemail. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. And mourn for many days I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Hold your place right there. And would you read sometime today down through the end of the chapter and see his cry and his confession. Next week, we're going to look at the connections for revitalization found in chapter 2. Or also discern something about the consensus needed for revitalization. That's the people coming together. That's the people in the church rallying together in an inclusive fashion to get this thing revitalized and back to health. You see? And we'll see that. Then there's that conclusion of revitalization. 
next couple of chapters, chapters 3, 4, and 5, they finish the wall of chapter 6, verse number 15. But when the church is brought to health, notice the blessing. I call it the continuance of a church that's regained their health and what takes place. Oh, my. Oh, my. Man, Dave, if I knew you weren't here this morning, I'd probably just take a little longer and finish this thing. This thing is good eating right here. It's the good Word of God. And so we're going to go through the Word next week again and try to unfold a little bit more clearly what it looks like for a church to be biblically revitalized. And you know what? This isn't the only place. There's dozens of other biblical references that give us the hope that a church can gain its health and vibrancy and do what God has commissioned us to do. Why? Well, simply why? Because we're connected to Jesus Christ as a purchased redemption, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. We're a body that has the head of Christ, Colossians 1, 18. Hey, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us, gave himself for us, Romans chapter 8, verse number 37. His glory dwells within us, Ephesians 3, 21. Verse 20, he's able to do abundantly things that we could ever ask or think according to the power that already resides inside the church, you see. And not only that, we know the promise. We ought to start looking like it. This is the progress where the church needs to go. He's working and creating us to be the emblem and the image of Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 27, to become a glorious church without blem, spots, and wrinkles for his honor and his glory. I'll go wait till next week to do this, but I think I'll do it this morning. Uh, there's a, uh, a return, finally, when you get to the end of the lesson. And there's some words in a little chorus that uh, was written several years back as a contemporary song several years back. Jesus Messiah. And I can see these people finally getting that place of revitalization and getting God's glory back, and rebuilding this wall, reinstituting the law, worshiping in the temple, praying and giving, thanksgiving. The choirs were singing. They had, they had two appointed choirs you'll see in your lesson when you come back next Sunday morning. Oh, man, the vibrancy in the church. And I can see them singing after coming back into Jerusalem, using that word Messiah. The idea of being Redeemer. Jesus Messiah. You know that song? Sing it with me while the team comes up. Will you do that? Jesus Messiah. Name above all names. Blessed Redeemer. Lord of all. The rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. I doubt they could sing that down in Babylon when the walls were laying down in Jerusalem, could you? But man, the latter part of Nehemiah, the last five, six chapters, they're that revitalized, revived church doing what they were assigned to do to fulfill the promise of a land that had been given to them. And so our prayer here at Salem is that God will revive the church these coming months and, uh, and do that in such a way that will bring Him glory and honor. Let's stand together for our worship.